Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. We've got a lot to talk about today. Jamie Harrison, the chair of the DNC, is going to be with us about how, what the DNC is doing to protect our vote. Plans are beginning for the endemic phase of COVID. California now is starting to lay the groundwork for structural stuff to say, OK, this is now like whooping cough. Will it now be treated like measles and our geeky science? There are medicines you can take if you catch Omicron, and I'll lay some of that stuff out. Also, Joe Trippi will be with us. First time I met Joe Trippi was in Vermont in 2003, as I recall, when he was working on the Howard Dean campaign for president in the 2004 primary. He's got some interesting thoughts on where we're going with all, you know, with the politics in America, shall we say. Amazing. So a couple of stories here that I just want to put on your radar, and then I'll pick up your phone calls. The first is that Stephen Breyer, the Supreme Court Justice, progressive Supreme Court Justice, who is, uh, or liberal Supreme Court Justice, I guess, who I think is like 80, 83 or something. Uh, he's been 27 years in the Supreme Court. He just announced he's going to retire. Now, if he retires at the end of June, at the end of the current Supreme Court term, which is most likely how it'll play out, then in June or July, President Biden proposes or offers a new Supreme Court nominee. And then you've got a month or so that it's going to go. So we're up to probably August before it gets through the, through the Senate. Right now, the Senate is controlled by Democrats. So the, and, and Mitch McConnell blew up the filibuster for Supreme Court justices. So Democrats right now will be able to get a Democratic nominee on the court unless Mansion or cinema decide to become Republicans. Let that sink in. I mean, this is why I've been saying, you know, yeah, punishing Mansion and cinema, very satisfying short term, very destructive long term. They should be held accountable at the ballot box. And we'll see how it plays out. But if Kirsten Cinema, if she's really excited about sabotaging the Democratic Party, this is what she'll do between now and August, and just turn the Senate over to Mitch McConnell, who will simply say, no, we're not going to take your uh, Supreme Court nominee, period, until 2025. 
after the next election. Uh, it's amazing. Okay, there's that. There's a couple other things. This, uh, I find this just absolutely incredible. Boston Hospital will not perform a heart transplant on a man who is unvaccinated. His name is DJ Ferguson. He's 31 years old. He's the father of two with a third child on the way. And his heart is just failing. Right. And, but he refuses to get vaccinated. This guy believes the BS. I mean, you know, I saw a note this morning over on DU. Every hospital in America right now has a COVID ward. Do any hospitals have a ward or even one room that is devoted to people who are the victims of vaccines? Who got sick from vaccines? No. None. But this guy is like, oh, the vaccine is worse than whatever. So the hospital is saying, sorry, our policy is to give organs to patients who are most likely to survive. There's the actual quote. Given the shortage of available organs, we do everything we can to ensure that a patient who receives a transplanted organ has the greatest chance of survival. Our Mass General Brigham healthcare system requires several CDC-recommended vaccines, including the COVID vaccine, and lifestyle behaviors for transplant candidates to create the best chance for a successful operation. And they point out, after once you've had a heart transplant, for the rest of your life, you have to take immune-suppressing drugs that make you very, very vulnerable to dying from COVID. So if you're going to get the antibodies circulating in your system, you need to get vaccinated now, or you needed to get vaccinated a couple of months ago. But this guy is absolutely refusing to get vaccinated and saying he's going to die rather than get vaccinated. And, you know, I'm not blaming him. The guy is a victim of, the, of this right-wing propaganda machine that is trying to tear down now the Biden administration. You even got Donald Trump going out saying, get vaccinated. Right? He's, he's completely changing his tune on this. Him and Ron DeSantis are like at opposite ends of this now. It is just so tragic. Breyer's retirement just doubled or tripled the stakes in the United States Senate, too. Your thoughts on that? Paul in Alden, New York. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Tom, I just want to update you on the Breyer resignation. Uh, Schumer says he's going to fast track it. And he wants it to be as fast as the last. Uh, Starting when? Hearing. <laughs> well, he's got to wait for a nomination, but he intends right. to move to hearing quickly. That's oh, interesting. Yeah, that's great. Not waiting to June or anything like that. Yeah. Right. The other thing is I had an idea who we should nominate as Breyer's replacement. I think it should be Merrick Garland. And my reasoning is not just that he was it's a twofer. denied an opening before, but that it would give us a chance to get somebody a little more progressive in as, re, as attorney general, somebody who will announce that, yes, he is pursuing all the various Trumpian conspiracies to overturn the results of the election, et cetera. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, a task force, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Somebody who will do something. Yeah, it would be it would be both ironic and effective. I agree with you, Paul. The problem is that Merrick Garland is like 70 or in his 60s. I, you know, he's he's, yeah. he's an old guy. And look at how old Amy Barrett is or Beerbon Brett. I mean, okay. they're putting like 30 and 40 year olds on the court. And uh, okay. that's I think we need to be doing the same. But I like your suggestion. I think the irony is just extraordinary. Paul, thank you very much for that. Omar in Herndon, Virginia. Hey, Omar, what's on your mind today? Tom, the prophet, truth, justice, democracy, peace, prosperity, common good in the American way. Good day to you, sir. Thank you. Back at uh, you. Stephen Breyer's retiring. Oh, my God. I mean, I just hope Mr. McConnell doesn't pull up the same trick he did with Obama. He can't. 
Not a guy. Oh, can't, can't, do we Mitch have? McConnell blew up the filibuster for Supreme Court justices, and okay. the, the way that he was able to block uh, Garland was because he was the Senate Majority Leader, but Chuck Schumer is now the Senate Majority Leader. So, you know, Breyer says he's going to retire in June, which means that we've got, what, March, uh, this is January, February, March, April, May, June. We have five months, really six months, of heavy-duty holding our breath that no Democrat in the Senate dies, no Democrat in the Senate, like Kirsten Sinema or Joe Manchin, decides to become a Republican, in which case Mitch McConnell would be able to block Breyer's replacement. Oh, my. Oh my. Uh, you know, I mean, there, yeah, <laughs> so we, we've got some serious breath holding to do here for the next six or seven months. Yes. And what I want to talk about regarding Russia, I, I really think that the CIA failed in assessing Putin properly, his strength and his vision and what he's planning to do. You know, and, and the reason why I say that Germany gets 50 percent of his gas from Russia. So that's something that... Do they now, or are they simply... Or you're talking about on the pipeline through Ukraine. Right, okay. Yeah, got it. The pipeline through Ukraine. Right now, Germany gets 50%. So if if there's a war and and the Russian cut off, that's going to basically... Uh, destroy the largest economy in Europe, which is Germany. Yeah. So, so, so it's really kind of we kind of in a tough situation. But I think the best way to do it is really to go after these oligarchs because Putin is nothing without his oligarchs. Just give you an example: Chelsea Football Club in in England is owned by one of the oligarchs in Russia. Right. You know that aluminum plant in Kentucky that's owned by one of the Russian I think oligarchs. They, I think they never built that. They never built that? Okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure they canceled that after Mitch McConnell campaigned on it and won. <laughs> or, or Rand Paul, one or the other. But the reason to go after Putin is go after his oligarch because they have 60% of their assets overseas, in right. Monaco, in Europe. You know, So uh, putting the squeeze on him right now will really prevent him from going to invade Ukraine because I think he thinks that this is the right time to invade Ukraine. Yeah, I, I think you're right, and I think that that's what the Biden administration is thinking right now. With regard to the CIA, I, I just don't know, Omar. It would be interesting to know, you know what kind of damage Donald Trump did over there while he was president. Tom in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, Tom, thanks for listening on SiriusXM. What's up? Hey, Tom. Hey, you know, since McConnell got rid of the filibuster for Supreme Court justices and how quickly they got COVID Barrett through, and if Breyer's resignation, if, if, if Breyer is retiring and has made it official, what are we waiting for? Have next week, have Biden nominate somebody, push him through, Schumer should get him through as quickly, quicker than Barrett, and just say, hey, his term starts in October when the Supreme Court restarts. Yeah. I don't know if there's some technicality with the law with regard to having to wait until the seat is vacant or whether you can begin the process. I'm, I'm guessing Biden could announce who he's going to nominate today. He hasn't, to the best of my knowledge. I haven't well, seen that pop up in the news. I know he made a comment about it. And he has in the past committed that the, next, that the first person he puts on the Supreme Court will be a black woman. And there are plenty of highly qualified black women out there who would it would be you know, great to have on the Supreme Court. But I don't know if he can do it until after Breyer retires. Do you? Well, I, I, I don't know if it's written in the Constitution. All it says is that Congress has to uh, consent and advise. Right. Right. So what do we do? We're just doing yeah. it early. We're just getting it ready. So when that seat does become open, I'm with you. you I'm know, with you, ready, especially we're, we're ready to especially go. given that, you know, if we lose one single senator, 
We just heard that Mark Warner, the, the Democratic senator from Virginia, has COVID, right, or tested positive for COVID. If we lose one single senator, the, the Senate goes back to Mitch McConnell. And, you know, whatever nominee, uh, you know, Biden wants to put forward dies. I mean, you know, uh, metaphorically. Thanks a lot for the call. Craig in Dallas, Texas. Hey, Craig, you wanted to talk about the guy who uh, got turned down for a heart transplant because he's unvaccinated? Yes. At the end of you telling the story, you mentioned that uh, he was a victim and stuff. And I don't believe, I'm not buying that he's a victim. This guy is an adult. He's able to buy guns, drive cars, drink beer, vote, do all of that stuff. And he also had access to the same information that you have, that I have, and everybody else. He chose to believe what he believes, and that's why he's in the condition he's in. And for me, I find this as a bigger part of the problem with America is where, and I'm not saying that you're, you know, whatever, but it seems to be that, in my opinion, white people are willing to give other white people the benefit of the doubt for bad decisions they make. And you can go all the way back to the Civil War and how Reconstruction ended, how the Confederacy was pretty much let off the hook, all of this stuff. And to me, it's just whites giving whites that benefit of the doubt that blacks and other people don't get, you know, when, when somebody makes a mistake. There is a long history of that, Carl. You're absolutely right. In particular, you know, crimes, I mean, you know, mass shooters, things like that. If they're white, they're, oh, he must be mentally ill. If they're black, then it uh, must be a criminal. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think that I'm yeah. cutting this guy slack. If he had been black, I would feel the same way. I feel this way about Herman Cain. I mean, Herman Cain, you know, didn't have to die, but he believed the, he drank the Kool-Aid and it's a tragedy. I, Herman I, Cain is a smart guy. This guy was a CEO. He's not a victim and stuff. He, he chose to believe that. I, I just don't think he's a victim. I, I don't see a victimization. Well, that's where that's where you and I are disagreeing, Craig, not about the race of it. But, but you know, and, and I get what you're saying. And they are all adults and they do have access to plenty of information. But, you know, Fox News can be very persuasive. Uh, you, yeah, have you ever watched me, it? I, I'm going to tell you this, Tom. To me, when I see the Republicans trying to slip away other people's right to vote, to me, I mean, if you just want to be, you know, weird or whatever about this stuff, those people shouldn't be allowed to vote. If, if you can't see the facts and make a, 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 a decision, then why should those people be even voting? But, because I in mean, America, I mean, it's not illegal to be stupid. But I, just say still, I just don't see victimization for those people. And stuff. They, they made the decision, and I mean, it's a bad decision. I feel sorry for them that they decided to do that, and they're going to pay a, a big price. But still, I'm... <laughs> Yeah. No. Well, this guy's going to die as a result of this, and and right. uh, you know because he's he's close to death right now. His heart is in its in its last stages. But I don't know, Craig. I, I, I know. We've got know. we've got eight hundred fifty thousand. Mean, you know, we all got that. We all feel that empathy and got that humanity about it and stuff to say, hey, you know, you don't keep nobody down when they down, <laughs> especially when they're facing death. Yeah. Cool. Well, there there is that impulse, but but I, I you know, Jen Jen. Uh, Senko, thank you, Sean. Jen Senko's movie, uh, The Brainwashing of My Dad. I mean, she tells the story of her father. When he retired, he started watching Fox News, and he literally went through a personality change, became a different person, became a, a, a right-wing raving lunatic. And then they pulled the plug on Fox News, and he turned back into a normal person. The, this media has real power, and it is claiming real victims. And I'm going to continue to characterize it as such. I get it, Craig, that they're adults. But uh, respectfully, I disagree. Thank you for the call, though.
Yeah, yeah. I think that a lot of the responsibility lays with the media that is laying lies on these people. He does. I think Craig was his name. I think he does raise a, uh, a real interesting, though, moral question. I mean, who is at fault? Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Tom Hartman here with you. You will recall Tom Perez was uh, pretty much a regular on this program when he was running the DNC. He uh, has, has been followed by Jamie Harrison, who is now the chair of the Democratic National Committee. Democrats.org, of course, is the website. Jamie Harrison's Twitter handle is Harrison Jamie, J-A-I-M-E, or at the Democrats, and uh, is with us right now. Uh, Jamie Harrison, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, I, I, I'm not even sure where to begin. I, I guess like, what's, what, what is your notion, what, your, your perspective right now on the, on the odds of Democrats holding the House and Senate as we go into 2022? Uh, what, do you, what do you think the situation is and what do we have to do to do that? Well, well, I believe that we will hold on to our majorities in the House and the Senate, but it ain't going to be easy, Tom. We're going to have to fight hard for this. As my grandma often told me, nothing good comes easy. you got to put a little elbow grease into it. And, you know, we know that the Republicans are hungry. They want to get power back, not because they're going to actually do a damn thing with it, other than take care of their big donors, as Lindsey Graham once said when they passed that tax cut, their donors would be upset if they did. Right. Um, whereas we're trying to do things to improve the lives of the American people. 
the hardships and the barriers that people have in front of them. But the Republicans are going to do everything they can. And, you know, they have become this party, uh, party of Trump, but a party that is built on fraud, fear, and fascism. And so they'll use whatever trick in the book that they can find in order to get that power back. But we, and that we is not just the Democratic Party. We should be all Americans who are concerned about democracy in this country. We can't allow them to, to, to get that power back. Are you saying, I mean, I've been saying this for some time, throughout the Trump presidency, actually, that fascism is on the agenda. It's time to use the F word. Is the Democratic Party going to start openly, I mean, you just did, I think, openly saying that the Republican Party is embracing a, a form of governance that has destroyed the world a couple of times now? Well, uh, yeah, listen, I, I have not been shy with saying it. it the three Fs, fear, fraud, fascism. Yeah. Everything they do is, is anchored in one of those three pots. You know, rule of law, just listen to what Newt Gingrich said the other day. I mean, that the, the January 6th commission that is looking at the, the largest political insurrection that we've seen in this country probably since the Civil War, the January 6th committee is doing something that is breaking the law? What, investigating, doing their power, following their oaths of office to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States from both threats, foreign and domestic? That is breaking the law and that they should be thrown in jail because of it? Yeah. I mean, you yeah. would think we're in some banana republic when you listen to these, some of these folks. Right? Oh, yeah. They don't That's, care about the law. Yeah, that is absolutely authoritarianism 101. So there's a few issues that I think are going to emerge as major issues as we, as we head past the primary season into the general election. And probably crime, or in, in particular violent crime, is going to be at the top of that list. This idea that 30 years, 40 years now of neoliberal economic policy, shipping our jobs overseas, tax cuts for the rich, stripping the, the wealth of the, of the middle class, has, is now biting deeply. We've got a structural problem there. The workplace is a place where people not only earn a living, but it's also a major kind of social hub. You can just see this. I mean, I used to live in Detroit. I grew up in Michigan. And as unemployment goes up or as employment goes down, as good quality employment goes down, crime goes up, regardless of race, regardless of region, regardless of pretty much anything else. And as the ability to attend good quality schools goes down, crime goes up. It seems like, at least from my point of view, these are like just law, like laws of physics kinds of things. But how is the Democratic Party going to challenge this when the Republicans start screaming about, you know, law and order, which, you know, has it worked for Richard Nixon back in the 70s really well. I'm, I'm fully expecting an onslaught of this stuff. Democrat cities, lots of crime. Well, you know, I just responded recently to something that Kevin McCarthy put out there on tweets in terms of his response to President Biden's inquiry about what do the Republicans stand for. And in essence, he wanted to go towards this, as they have often done, the fund the police BS that they've been trying to tag onto the Democratic Party. But we know that the party that has really defunded the police, I mean, when Donald Trump was president, he cut policing budgets in the Department of Justice by almost half a billion dollars, $500 million reduction there. Whoa. And when the Republicans had the opportunity to fund the police in the American Rescue Plan, what did they do? They voted no. 
So, you know, many of our police departments and our emergency services, the fire departments, all needed money desperately in the spring of last year and, and going into the summer. And we put the Democrats under Joe Biden's leadership, put those resources into the American Rescue Plan. Not one Republican in the House, not one Republican in the Senate voted for the legislation. Hmm. So thereby defunding the police. And so we got to just call them out. We got to call them out for who they are, how they vote, and make sure that they don't run away from it. Right. Uh, and, and that's what I want to see in a Democratic Party. One that is not going to pull its punches. You know, yes, we are nice people. We believe in government. But we sure as heck aren't going to allow these Republicans to take credit for stuff that they didn't do uh, and to put on us uh, the things that they have deficiencies in. Right. And so uh, it, it's, it's far time for Democrats to stand up and to fight back and push back against the Republicans down, and down, their hypocrisy. Down in Florida, um, a, a college professor just pulled the plug on a, on a talk that he was going to give to a bunch of high school teachers, not students, teachers, um, about the civil rights movement from basically the 1940s to the 1980s. You know, he's, it was that there's at least a couple of decades on either side of the 60s that are largely ignored in the discussion of the American civil rights movement. That was the essence of his talk. He pulled the plug because he's worried that these new laws and policies that, they, that DeSantis has put into place against, quote, teaching critical race theory um, could you know, lead to the loss of his job. I mean, DeSantis is now talking about passing legislation that allows any parent to sue any school district. It's kind of a variation on the, you know, the bounty that you get for, for outing somebody who has an abortion in Texas. Now it's, you, can make a, you can make some money by, by suing your local school or teachers or whatever. Um, how, how, do we, how, do we, how does the DNC intend to rebut this whole uh, CRT Republican hysteria. They're calling it the Parents' Bill of Rights. This is the thing that they're running on now. And DeSantis is apparently having a lot of success with this in Republican circles in Florida. Again, uh, the three F's that define the Republican Party, fear, fraud, and fascism. And here you got two of the ones, two of the F's in, uh, in, in play. It's fear. They're trying to make uh, parents fearful of their teachers, fearful of, of uh, you know, the teachings of, of their kids. Folks, these teachers have been teaching the same dang on thing for years now. And if you don't, if, and if you're like suspicious about what they taught, we all as parents, I'm a father too, uh, anybody dealing with COVID in this country with young kids, for over uh, for about a year, you had to teach your kids at home, right? Yeah. That curriculum that you got was from the teachers, the same teachers that are in the classroom right now with those kids. Do you remember teaching CRT to your kids? <laughs> well, I remember. T you know, it's been a lot of years, but uh, I, you know, I've certainly talked with my kids. Uh, you know, about the his the racial history of America. And I think that's important stuff. And, and it's, it looks to me like they're just trying to blot this out of our classrooms. And uh, I, well, I, I think it's very wrong. And, and the, Tom, the next step is they're going to ban Black History Month. We're, we're coming into Black History Month in February. Right. Again, this is a form of fascism. It's about the other, you yeah. know, creating fear of the other. Yeah. Um, and, and you'll go from one group to the next group. Uh, you know, they love to say they want to wrap themselves in the Constitution. Well, what about freedom of speech? What about the, the ability to, to talk about the things? What about just teaching the history of this country? 
Yeah. There are uh, good things in our history, and there are some not so good things with our history, but it's important that we understand that history so that we don't repeat the mistakes of the past. Amen. That's why that's important. Amen. I'm with you. Uh, we're talking with the, the chairman of the DNC, Jamie Harrison. Um, and and uh, Chairman Harrison, we've got about a minute and a half before we're going to hit a hard break here that I can't control. I'm, I'm wondering what you would, in that, in that time, what, what you would encourage people who are listening or watching us right now um, to do. I mean, what, what are the action steps What are you know, that the Democrats should be seriously uh, engaging in, to, uh, A, to help with 2022, and B, uh, more broadly, to, to fight back against fascism in America? Well, let me give you the plan for what we are going to do in order to win in 2022. Uh, you can use the acronym ROSE, right? The first one, R, registration. For the first time in about 15, 20 years, the DNC is going to be involved in a, a registration program targeted specifically to some of our minority communities, increased registration. Organizing, we put $20 million into our campaign readiness program where we're putting organizers on the ground have already started last year in our battleground states. Uh, protection, voter protection. We have an I Will Vote initiative, $25 million, the largest voter protection effort ever. We have been putting voter protection staff since the spring of last year across the country in many of our battleground states. We'll do engagement. Uh, we are starting off the spring with our uh, education and engagement programs, specifically in communities of color, uh, and support to state parties and to our candidates trainings that we're going to do a big boot camp uh, training soon. Uh, but we, we are putting $23 million in going back to a 57 state territory strategy uh, once again. That's great. So really excited about those. Efforts. That's great. Chairman Jeremy Harrison of the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, Democrats.org, or the website, Harrison, Jamie, J-A-I-M-E, uh, over on Twitter. Uh, Chairman Harrison, thank you so much for dropping by. Great talking with you. Thank you so much, Tom. My pleasure. John in Kansas City, Missouri. Thank you for taking my call. I agree with you that the Democrats have to combat. We know what's coming from the Republicans. They're throwing it out there about crime in the cities, but they've been doing that for a while. And what two things we should do. First, to push back against it. Don't you know there are a lot of Republican-led states with high crime in their cities and has been for years? Just I'll just name Florida for an example. Yeah, but what, what, the, what the Republicans will point out, John, is that most of those cities have Democratic mayors. And that's, that's oh, always their shtick. You know, yeah, you, you, cities are more likely to have Democratic mayors, uh, even in red states. Well, you have a point, but I still think that we should push back because the Republican governors in those states are going to be using that tactic. So ask them, what have you done about crime in your state? Yeah. What have you done about the rise of opiates in your state? What have you done? What I'm getting at, you know, these places, these red states are not, you know, utopias. Right. Okay. There's high crime everything from political and also we should use pictures of the of these uh the proud boys the three percenters all those uh, uh crime that they were doing in the streets push back on this hard really yeah. Yeah. i mean if you if the democrats come out and put ads run a campaign about the political physical violence 
Use the insurrection. Use the videos from Michigan. Use the videos from Portland. You know, and every state the in the union has right. has laws against armed militias in their states. They they haven't been enforced, but and a lot of these laws go back to you know post Civil War. They're they're over a hundred years old, but they could be used, and they're not. And that's something too. So John, excellent points, all. Thank you very much, Gar in Decatur, Georgia. Hey, Gar, what's up? Oh, how you doing, Tom? Uh, what I really called for was about defunding the police. Mm-hmm. Now, what it got to me was, let me see how much these police budgets are. Right. And they, they're in the billions. I know. New York City budget is from 7 to $10 billion. Chicago's in a billion. Atlanta's in $850 million. I mean, and we talk about crime. In other words, we're not getting bang for our buck. I mean, we're paying out big money yeah. to the police. You know, it, it, you know, what it means is actually, can we do something different? What is that old saying? You keep doing what you're doing. Mm. You keep getting what you're getting. And what do they call it? Insanity. Right. Yeah. And we're That's talking about Einstein crime. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about crime. Uh, crime is a business. Mm. I mean, who look who make money in the, with mm. crime? The judges. We just got finished talking about judges. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of people who make crime as a, as a career. Gar, I'm with you. And that's why I'm suggesting, you know, things like community policing. And there's just a, a whole spectrum of ways to address policing in the United States that we really need to be doing. Gar, thank you for the call. That was excellent. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Right now on the line with us is Joe Trippi, the Democratic strategist, the host of the Trippi Show podcast. LeverCommunications.com is the website, apparently, for that. And uh, you can tweet him at Joe Trippi. Joe, do I have your contact information right here? Yeah, it's That Trippy Show is the name of the podcast. But thanks, Tom. It's great to be with you, man. It's been too long. Yeah, uh, wow. Hey, I remember back in 2003 when you were running the Dean campaign. And, and I think it was the first time I met you. 
and then in the middle of it, you had like a kidney attack or something. It was terrible. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember that so vividly. But you just struck me as such a thoughtful, knowledgeable guy. You always have, and I've, I've you know, in any I'm case, I've been good. a fan of yours the whole time too. Yeah. Seriously, so yeah, uh, and it's good. Uh, yeah. It's good, it's back to good times. It's good talking to you again. And uh, so uh, I, I, the reason I wanted to talk to you on, on this particular occasion at this particular moment is because there's a lot of despair traveling around in Democratic circles, particularly after, you know, we had two turncoat uh, Democratic senators uh, shoot down uh, voting rights reform. And uh, you've been pushing back on this, and I think quite effectively and making some really brilliant points. And I would, you know, I wanted to solicit your help in sharing those. So uh, what, what is giving you optimism right now for 2022? I think there's a whole lot going on. It's getting, you know, sort of missed in all the doom and gloom uh, reporting that's happening out there. One of the first things is, look, a year ago, as I started looking at 2022 and looking at redistricting, it was pretty clear that Republicans we're going to be able to draw 10 more safe Republican seats in this redistricting that's going on right now. And a lot of us right then, knowing that, you know, it's always tough in the midterm anyway, but then when you start off 10 seats down just because they redrew the lines, you know, I was pretty pessimistic. But now as you see state after state and the lines becoming clearer and some courts getting involved in Ohio and other places, it's not coming true at all. In fact, it now looks like of the new districts, we're likely to have four to six more congressional districts that Joe Biden won in 2020. We'll have those in 2022 than we had in 2020. Because two reasons, frankly, the Republicans were so good at drawing the lines in 2010 when they had control of these legislatures. This is their red map strategy, right? Yeah. Yeah, they can't, right, and they can't, they can't make it any redder where it's red. So anyway, we're now going to have, I think, four to six more congressional seats that are competitive and likely to be won by Democrats than, than the 10 that we were sure to lose when redistricting was going on when we first looked at it. The second thing is look at who they're nominating. They, they are, I think, going to have a year like 2010 where they, back then, nominated some lunatics. I mean, if you remember the, the witch in Delaware, the Nevada candidate, Sharon Engel, I think, there are three or four candidates that they nominated who said such off-the-wall things that it took it took their winning, they were supposed to win the Senate majority that year. Oh, yeah, there was Roy Moore and Ted Aiken and... <laughs> yeah, well, and right, and now this year you got Herschel Walker, you got Dr. Oz, uh, Herschel Walker down in Georgia, Dr. Oz up in, in, in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. They're doing the same thing. And it's, it's actually this time happening even in darker ways in congressional races because their candidates are really trying to out-Trump the other candidate. And I think it's going to be a, a big problem for them, particularly there are voters that when they look at the authoritarian wing of the party, Republican Party taking over and what's being done, they're, they're ready to, to leave if that's the kind of candidate that the Republicans put up, and they're putting plenty of them up. So you've got redistricting is working not against us, but potentially in our favor. Two, they're helping by nominating lunatics or loons. Three, um, when you look at even the fights that we're having out there on, on the progressive side, the Democratic side, 
There may be a race in Pennsylvania, for instance, Fetterman and others in Connor Lamb, but there's a real sense, I think, that people are willing to, are going to unify behind whoever wins our primaries. Not true in theirs. If a Trump candidate, a rhino, somehow beats a Trump candidate, the Trump folks will will stay home and vice versa or, or be discouraged. So I think that's the, the third factor. And also, I think, look, there's a lot of good things that Democrats have gotten done, despite the Republicans obstructing, and that we're kind of at the low point of the approval. Everybody's mad at everybody right now because of COVID or their kids in schools. They're angry. When they're angry, that's taken out on the president's approval numbers. I think that anger is going to subside as COVID and the economy and the jobs growth continues in the right direction as we get closer to November. Yeah, my analysis of Biden's falling poll numbers is as follows, and and I'd love to do a reality check with you on this, Joe Trippi. If a pollster were to call me right now and say, you know, are you happier now with Joe Biden than when he was first elected, I would probably say no. But the reason would be because I think that he pissed away, frankly, uh, a, a good chunk of the year that should have been focused on voting rights, which is foundational to everything else. I realize he had emergency, you know, real economic crises. And then the Build Back Better fiasco. I mean, they should have seen Cinema and Mansion coming. These two people have been saying this for a full year. Sure. And Lyndon Johnson would not have allowed this to happen. And I think that many Democrats want a guy in the White House who's going to take names and kick ass, not somebody who's going to try to play Harry Reid. But that doesn't mean I don't love Joe Biden. And I really admire the fact that this guy has gone from being kind of a middle-of-the-road corporate Democrat to being, you know, right in tune with Howard Dean in 2004, or, or for that matter, I mean, he's got Bernie Sanders running right. the budget committee. So uh, that doesn't mean I wouldn't vote for him. You know, it doesn't mean I wouldn't well, vote for Democrats, but I would show up as a, oh, not so good. Right, you're right. That's what I think is going on. There's a bunch of disappointment for where we are, but also there's a bunch of disappointment, I think, with people about, like, they really, people thought we would be out of COVID by now. Well, we're not. Right. That's not the president's fault or Democrats' fault, but it still weighs when you ask, hey, how do you feel about how the country's going? People are going to say not very good. Yeah. And I think that's where it's, it's going to show up in his numbers, but I don't believe that those numbers are going anywhere but up from here. And they're probably not going to translate into electoral losses. That was my point. Yeah. Was yeah, that, no, you know, I agree. The I voters agree. are still with him. So, uh, Joe, I, forgive the interruption, but I'm, I'm looking at the clock here, and we're going to hit a hard okay. break in a, in a couple of minutes. There is a meme floating around in Republican circles, the kind of cynical Republican circles, that is kind of halfway between the Liz Cheney's and the, and the Kevin McCarthy's, which is saying Republican Party should continue to embrace Trump through the 2022 election cycle because he does motivate the base. He will get people out to vote. And midterm elections, if nothing else, are base elections. But after the 20, uh, you know, after November, at the, by December of this right. year, the entire Republican Party should desert him. And probably by that point in time, it will become obvious that the guy is a career criminal and he will lose his all what, what he has left of his political potency which completely changes the Republican picture going toward 2024. I'm curious your thoughts on, on that analysis and how that might play out. I think that's like fantasy land, in my view. I think that there is no way that a House majority would do anything but certify 
Donald Trump in 2024 if they win that majority. Look at what they did with the 139 in their caucus. It was a majority of that caucus. If Jim Jordan had been speaker that day with the majority, they would not have certified Joe Biden. They would have certified the loser. They will do it again. This is not a fight, and I've said this repeatedly, this is no longer a fight between two parties. One party doesn't exist as a pro-democracy party anymore. This is a fight between a pro-democracy coalition that has to embrace people across ideology and party lines. I mean, we want former Republicans, independents, Democrats. If you're for stopping this authoritarian movement. Right, it's democracy versus no democracy. Right. But but if if on the Republican side, you know, I I, I guess my thinking on this, and and this is not, by the way, my position. I mean, this there's I've seen several headlines just over the weekend talking about, you know, Republicans talking about this, use Trump and then dump him. I don't think that'll work. I think that's the policy that they're following, actually. But I I think it's going to kill the party. Well, I think the party's dead. I really believe that. And I think that they have to look. This is one of the things I've done is created uh, with other folks, with other former Republicans in the Lincoln Project and other places, something called the union. Join the union dot U.S. is where you can go to read more about it. But it's about calling on everybody to choose sides, to join the union, to protect, preserve our union, our republic and our democracy. And if you, if you don't want to be in that fight, then you're, you're on the other side. And I think that's where the Republican Party is right now. There yeah. is no, you're down to maybe two people, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, and even they won't vote for voting rights. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's truly breathtaking. So the website is jointheunion.us. Yes. Okay, we're hitting the break here in three seconds. I do want to get you back on in the next week or two, and let's talk specifically about that, okay? Absolutely, Tom. Okay, great. The legendary Joe Trippi, Democratic strategist, uh, Joe Trippi over on Twitter, Lever Communications. That Joe Trippi show is his podcast. You can find it wherever fine podcasts are available. Joe, thanks so much for dropping by. Thank you. Great talking with you. And join theunion.us. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. Just wanted to give you a quick update on the state of that California appears to be preparing for endemic rather than pandemic, kind of a post-paranoia or a post-panic phase uh, to this pandemic. I was uh, talking with my friend Jerry, who lives in New York City, a couple of days ago, and, and he was talking about how the city is slowly but starting to look like it's going to get back to normal. The, the city is kind of repopulating. People are coming back as the Omicron is starting to crash, you know, the, the, the infection rate, which is what we saw in South Africa and what we've seen in some European countries. It's going to be a while. It's going to be, you know, Louise not going to have a, it's not quite a bet, but, you know, is it going to be her birthday in March or my birthday in May when things really start seriously feeling like it's back to normal here in the United States? This is all assuming that there's not another god-awful variant coming down the road which there's a good chance of because we're still allowing these companies to hold the patents. And so, you know, third world countries are not getting cheap vaccines, but that's a whole nother rant. Anyhow, the, to, to the point here, first of all, you've got this old, uh, what do you call it, monoclonal antibody treatment that was working and was effective against the first COVID and against Delta, but it doesn't work against Omicron. 
Apparently, one of Ron DeSantis's largest donors is heavily invested in the company that makes this, and so DeSantis has bought lots and lots of it and is spreading it all over the state of Florida, has been opening up clinics to distribute. It's a treatment that costs a couple thousand bucks a whack. So DeSantis's donor is apparently doing very well from this, if the reports I'm reading make sense. In fact, there is a piece, David Badash over at the NewCivilRightsMovement.com. DeSantis vows to fight FDA after COVID treatment his top donor invested in is found to not fight Omicron. All right. But there are things that do. And this uh, newer antibody uh, treatment, this, it's called S-O-T-R-O-V-I-M-A-B. Sotrovimab, I guess just got certified by the World Health Organization as a treatment against Omicron. This is uh, one of the monoclonal antibodies. It'll be available in the United States by the end of this month. They're still using uh, dexamethasone, the the steroid treatment, for seriously ill people. That seems to be working very well. They're prescribing now interleukin-6 antagonists, which prevent wild inflammatory overreactions. Janus kinase inhibitors, I'm, I'm sure I'm mangling a lot of this pronunciation, the World Health Organization just came out and said this family of drugs, like uh, baricitinib, are useful against uh, Omicron. Uh, they're still using blood thinners uh, to prevent strokes and heart attacks with Omicron. And then we've got these pills, Paxlovid and Molnupiravir, the first COVID-19 pills they are going to be available in the next couple of weeks. And then this new, uh, this new one, Molnupiravir, is uh, taken as a capsule twice a day for five days. So there's like all this stuff and remdesivir is given intravenously. So all these things are actually effective. So we're seeing a decrease in the lethality of this virus because it's not primarily attacking lung tissue. It's mostly going after throat and nose where you've got lots and lots of kind of extra tissue as it were. And then also even though it's high, more highly contagious, and the increase in contagion is causing, you know, more infections without deaths and without serious long-term side, side effects in many cases. Now, this is still a very serious disease that can produce long-term problems. Long COVID is still a crisis in the United States that is nowhere near discussed often enough. But all of that said, I think that we're, we're finally starting to get into a really good space with this or at least we can see it on the horizon. And uh, that keeps me going. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, let's pick up your phone calls here. Todd in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Hey, Todd, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's up? No problem. I was listening, and we had a caller talk about uh, crime and about perception. And if you think about it, perception is a problem that most Republicans have, but 
some or a good chunk of Democrats have also. Like, for instance, with climate change. A lot of Republicans that I've talked to are like, well, you know, it's cold here now. I don't understand what's going on. You know, it's not yeah. real because, but they're talking about weather, not climate. Right. Climate is global. Weather is personal. And I think that's a lot of the problem with the Republicans. They, they do everything for personal reasons. You know, they, they help only their families. They don't want to help anybody else. Right. You know, so I think a lot of it has to do with perception. And I think if us as Democrats would realize that and start attacking issues, not only personally, but to, to let people understand that, no, I, I get that, Todd, but I, I think there's this, you know, free Uber thing going on right now among teenagers across the country where you want to get from one part of town to another, you just carjack a car, right, rather than rather than yeah. calling Uber. Yeah, I mean, CNN was literally just showing a carjacking in New York City, you know, from a security camera, uh, I believe. And it's all over the news. I mean, you know, 400% increase in carjackings, for example. So that perception is, is the perception is real, but apparently there is something underlying that perception. But I agree with you that, you know, our messaging has to be good and, and it has to be more inclusive. I think that we have to go beyond just, oh my God, carjacking. Let's talk about what's going on in our society as a whole. Uh, Daphne, thanks for the call. Daphne in St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, Daphne, what's up? Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. I'm a communications professional, and so when I look at the things that are going on in this country and threatening our democracy, I'm not seeing messaging that's countering what Republicans are doing and blatantly planning to destroy democracy. I'm also not hearing positive messaging outside of the party surrogates that appear on the Sunday morning network and weekday cable news programs to show what President Biden is doing Mm -hmm. and pointing out Republican roadblocks. And it really bugs me that there's no targeted messaging to counter news pundits who keep projecting that Democrats are going to lose the midterms. Democrats have 10 months to change the narrative. Grassroots efforts are great, but more needs to be done to show success. And as Jamie Harrison said with you earlier, more needs to be done and said to call out Republicans. And I think one way to do that would be to launch a comprehensive national media campaign that targets traditional broadcasts, TV, print, media, social, and other media platforms that not not only Democrats watch, but also those who are threatening our country. And so I just think more needs to be done, and the Democrats are lacking in that area. Yeah, I I am with you, (laughs) Daphne. Um, I I would add, though, that I think I, I, I don't know the answer to this question. Maybe you do. If Democrats, by and large, going into the election think it's going to be really tight or there's a good chance they're going to lose, does that cause them to be more likely to say, damn it, I'm going to fight back and show up to vote? Or does that cause them to be dispirited and say, ah, you know, it's already lost. Why bother? Um, or alternatively, if they think that, hey, we're definitely going to hang on to things, you know, same thing. I think it's the latter. I think that when they see what has not been accomplished by the president because of roadblocks that's been put up by by Republicans, and if you keep hearing over and over again that Democrats are going to lose the midterms, then some people may think, well, why should I go out and vote? They've already said they're going to lose. You know, what's what's the sense of me doing this? And so I just think, you know, it's great that he's thinking, the party is thinking $20 million in 
to get people registered. But I just also think they need to do more to tell their story. It's great what's going on if you're living in the Beltway, but those of us who live outside of the Beltway, I live in the St. Louis region. I actually live in Illinois. And I live in a congressional district that was traditionally Democrat for over 100 years. And we have a Republican congressman who is supporting and carrying water for President Trump. He was one of those people that that objected to some of the election results in Pennsylvania. He didn't certify President Biden's win as president. And so it's very disturbing that there are people within my area not only my area, but across the country, who are only hearing one side and one narrative. You know, those who speak the loudest control the narrative. And right now, the Republicans are controlling the narrative. And the Democrats, if you ask people what they're doing, they don't know. And they don't know because they're not seeing it. They're not hearing it. And you've got to do more than grassroots. I was talking to my husband earlier. I said, you know, seditionists, if you can't get onto their platform, they watch sports. You know, ESPN, yeah. you know, Fox Sports. Fox may not carry any of the DNC messaging, but, you know, they watch sports programs. They watch other platforms. You're absolutely so right. there's a way to get the messaging out, and they've got to do a better job of doing it, because if not, then what the pundits are saying, that the Democrats are going to lose the congressional races, it's going to happen. Yeah. But they, they have agree. an opportunity to turn it around, yeah. and now is the time to do it. Yep, I'm with you. I would also look at a major campaign targeting music, particularly country western music across the country. Daffy, yeah. thank you. Thank you very much. It's great to hear from you. And to get the perspective of somebody who's a communications professional here on the Tom Hartman program, talk media for the sane among us. Tom Harbin here with you. I, I, I was on Dino Badala's show the other day, and he said, you know, what, what do you think about the Biden administration? We're one year out. And I said, I was expecting a corporate Democrat. I was expecting another Bill Clinton. And what we got was a guy who has been very, very progressive. And he has been able to get everything through, obviously. But, you know, it's just the first year. So I just wanted to, to recap. There's a great thread. It's over at whatbidenhasdone.wordpress.com. And it runs printed out in small type. It runs about five, six, seven pages long here. So I, I, I doubt I'll be able to read uh, even a third of it. But uh, let me just share with you some of the stuff that, that has come out of this administration just in the first year. The $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan, $1,400 stimulus checks for adults, children, and adult dependents, the one-year child tax credit expansion, $350 billion in state and local aid, $130 billion for schools for safe opening, $40 billion for higher ed, half of which must go to student aid, extended a $300 supplemental unemployment insurance, expanded eligibility for extended unemployment insurance to cover new categories, made $10,200 from unemployment insurance for 2020 tax-free. A billion dollars for Head Start, $24 billion for Child Care Stabilization Fund, $15 billion in low-income child care grants, one-year child and dependent care credit expansion, $21 billion in rental assistance, $10 billion in homeowner relief, $5 billion for Section 8 vouchers, $5 billion to fight homelessness, $5 billion for utilities assistance, extended the eviction moratorium through August of last year, two-year ACA credit, permanently eliminated all Medicaid work requirements, permanently removed restrictions on access to abortion pills by mail, rescinded the Mexico City policy that banned international nonprofits from receiving U.S. funding if they provided abortion counseling or referrals, sued Texas and Georgia over voting laws, sued Texas over an abortion law, sued Georgia over prison abuse, 
signed a federal law making Juneteenth a federal holiday, signed an executive order to use the federal government to improve voting access through federal programs and departments, signed the COVID-19 Hate Crime Act, which made more resources available to support the reporting of hate crimes, signed an executive order for diversity in the federal workplace, banned ghost guns, new regulations and pistol stabilizing braces, student loan freeze through April 30th of this year, signed a bill making it a crime to harm U.S. law enforcement overseas, forgave $11.5 billion in student loans for disabled students and students who were defrauded, included by Trump University, fixed PSLFs uh, to, to make it much easier for previous payments to apply. Student loan debt forgiveness is tax-free through 2025. Ended the border wall emergency and canceled all border wall construction, repealed Trump's Muslim ban, set the federal 2022 refugee cap to 125,000, the highest in almost 30 years, prohibited ICE from conducting workplace raids, lifted the moratorium on green cards and immigrant visas, ended the use of public charge rules for asylum, ended the war in Afghanistan, the first time in 20 years the U.S. is not involved in a war, ended support for Saudi offensive operations in Yemen, airstrikes down 54% from 2020, issued a policy restricting drone strikes outside of war zones, restored $235 million in aid to Palestinians, new rules to counter extremism within the military, signed a law funding capital police and Afghan refugees, social security benefits will be able to be claimed online, passports can be renewed online, makes it easier for low-income families to apply for benefits, increasing telehealth options. It just goes on and on and on. $383 million in grant programs for affordable housing production, $28.6 billion in supplemental disaster relief for national emergencies, $8.7 billion in funding for minority communities, released $1.3 billion in Puerto Rican disaster aid that the Trump administration had held on to, forgave $371 million in community disaster loans, released $912 million in previously withheld education aid to Puerto Rico, permanent $3 billion per year boost in funding to Puerto Rico's Medicaid program, finalized the rule that bans a surprise medical billing for out-of-network medical services, instituted a moratorium on the federal death penalty, the things that the Biden administration has done in the first year. The thread is over at whatbidenhasdone.wordpress.com. Peter in Waldorf, Maryland. Hey, Peter, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. Just they were talking about the increase in crime and so forth and so on. But have you ever heard of a guy named Gary Webb? Was he the conspiracy theory guy or what? He was a investigative journalist for the San Jose Mercury News. Oh, I remember now. Yeah, yeah. And he is the one that broke the story. The cocaine story. About the, pardon me? Hey, didn't he break the story about the cocaine and the Reagan administration? That is correct. The director of the CIA and the Reagan administration came up with this idea. They went to Congress in 81 and asked for money to support the Contras. Well, the Congress turned them down, so they said, well, we've got to get this money to them so we can support them. So they came up with this idea that we'll sell cocaine in California, we'll take the profits from the cocaine, buy weapons in Israel, have them shipped to Iran, and then to the Contras. So there was no way to really have the United States fingerprints on what they were doing. Yeah. But the backstory on that, Snowfall is a series that is loosely based on what happened with the cocaine and how it ended up in 
south central LA and how basically mm. it got turned into crack and then at that time blacks couldn't really afford cocaine and it was primarily sold in white neighborhoods yeah. well now you had almost a generation of black folks that got wiped out from being addicts and now we're as a people trying to pick the pieces back up and it's very hard to do that when these young kids all they see are these drug dealers yeah. and that's who their mom yeah yeah i get it peter i'm sorry we're out of time but points well made and and yeah gary webb did some great investigative journalism and i think there was some questions around his death as i recall Anyhow, we'll be back same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. And so get out there, get active. There's so many great ways to get active right now. Pick one. Tag your it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 